0: This is the start of an anti-woke podcast. Biden has pardoned all federally convicted people of simple marijuana possession, which I think is like 6,000 people, plus a few thousand in D.C. also. And none of, the, none of these people are in prison. This is like, whatever. If that's the only thing on your record, then now you got a clean record. And if you got a longer record, then your record just got a little bit shorter. And so, the vast majority—I don't know—you know, probably 99 out of 100 people convicted of simple marijuana possession are convicted by a state or local law enforcement, which Biden doesn't control. So those people, those people have not been pardoned. So 99 out of 100, or something like that, have not been pardoned. And it's part of a racial equity initiative. You know, it's one of the... Biden's always trying to do some sort of racial equity thing, so this is one of them, he says. And I guess whites and blacks smoke marijuana at about the same rate, but black people get convicted of marijuana stuff more, which, you know, if you're woke, you're like, don't tell me anymore. That's racist, Don't, but don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me anything more about it. Only a racist would tell me more. That's all I need to know. But, um... I guess I'll give you some stats. 68% of Americans now want marijuana to be legalized. And more importantly, 50% of Republicans want it legalized now. And this is from maybe 34% of the general public wanted it legalized maybe 20 years ago. So it's kind of like gay marriage, right? There's been a few things that have just, the nation has, as a whole, has just changed its mind completely. Uh, We went from like, gay marriage is terrible to, yeah, gay marriage is fine. And you know, quit cutting off teenage girls' breasts while you're while we're saying gay marriage is fine. And then, anyways, marijuana went from people saying, "Oh, that's a bad, evil drug," to saying, oh, that's fine." And remember that politicians, but in this case, Republicans. Republican, you know, if fifty-one percent of America wants something, that's meaningless to a Republican politician. But if fifty-one percent of Republicans who vote in the primary want it, then all of a sudden, hey, that's, you know, that might be the way they go. Obviously, there's politicians just do what the rich people tell them. So it also depends on what those people say. But I think those people, I think rich people, maybe they used to care. I have a feeling that rich people don't care. They're like, you know, that's not the thing I care about. I care about money. I care about my money. I don't care about marijuana. So 50% of Republicans, it's going to have to go a little bit higher before Republicans are allowed to jump on board. I'm sure the politicians don't care either. Um, but we're close. So we're very close. The next president, for instance, whoever that is, might might get to legalize it. I don't think it's going to happen in these two years coming up with Biden. And Biden's looking into having marijuana taken off the Schedule One drug list. That's a list that's like heroin, um, LSD, Marijuana, that's probably the most famous things on there. And Schedule 1 is, oh, mushrooms. Schedule 1 is, actually no, maybe not mushrooms now. Anyways, Schedule 1 is drugs that have no medicinal medicine uses. And so it's funny, like fentanyl, the thing that's killing everyone, um, that's not Schedule 1 because it does have a medical use. I knew someone who was dying of and did die of cancer, and they gave her a fentanyl patch, and it was like the only thing that um, eased her pain. Strong stuff, but I don't think Biden can get it off the Schedule One list by himself. He's, I don't know. I, I, I guess what what he wants is a recommendation from the FDA and the DOJ and all the Alphabet groups. Um, if they can all get together and recommend that it be removed, then then you say you take that. It's just just a little ammunition to take to Congress and say, look, everyone says it shouldn't be Schedule One. Can you uh, pass a law? Because I think put it on Schedule One was a law originally. So basically, executive action—the thing that Biden can do without getting Congress on board—is not going to cut it. And I think, don't quote me on this one, but I think Obama released all the non-violent drug offenders. They were in federal prison at one point, you know, whatever, five, ten years ago. And it wasn't a ton of people, but you know, a lot. Of, a lot of times, you know, it's like, hey, this guy's in prison for marijuana. It's like. Well, yeah, you know, they found him murdering someone, and they and they, and he had marijuana in his pocket, you know, so he got convicted of murder. And while they were at it, they're like hell, just throw on the marijuana charge. And so, like a lot, basically, most federal prisoners with a drug conviction, it was it, they also had some sort of violent felony to go with it, and so it didn't really let out that many people, but I think it let out all the. Not, you know, all the, all the simple marijuana conviction. I think simple means nothing else to go with it. No, no other conviction alongside it. Um, so I think Obama let all those people out. So, you know, that's, what, that's why Biden's thing is not letting anyone out. And I believe about half of the states have legalized marijuana at this point, And maybe I want to say 36 of them have legalized uh, medical marijuana. So much more than half. And this year, six more states have it on their initiative or something. And Maryland, that's a blue state. They're going to they gonna legalize it. And then the other five are red states. It sounds like basically all the blue states have already legalized it at this point. And I don't have a list. Arkansas, Missouri, those are a couple of states that are thinking about it. I don't think te- Texas is not on the list. So maybe Texas and Florida, I don't think they've legalized it yet. They're either not doing it this year or they've already done it. But I'm talking about this mostly because there's this thing that I heard, I can't remember where, some anti-woke podcast probably a year and a half ago. I mean, not my own, but whatever, some counter-narrative podcast. But that the thing with people who get convicted of simple marijuana charges, now this is going to be state, this is going to be in the states. Okay, I didn't mention that. So Biden has called on governors across America to pardon all those simple marijuana conviction people, just like he did for the feds. And so the story I heard is that, you know, maybe every once in a while, someone just gets caught with a joint and you throw them in prison. But really, like, you know, it's just, it's not worth the cop's time. You don't want to, you know, putting someone in prison costs you, I don't know what, 40 grand a year, 70 grand a year, depending on the state probably. And so you don't, you just don't waste your time and energy and resources on people caught with a single joint. So what a lot of the simple marijuana, or basically an unknown percentage to me, but I, I think a decent chunk is, like the, the classic example is, you go to a domestic violence case, the husband has been beating the crap out of his wife, you know, who knows, she's probably got... Two black eyes and a whole bunch of other stuff. And there's a joint. And so they take the guy in and, you know, whatever. This guy, this is a bad man. They take this bad man in, but then, of course, the wife will not cooperate. And just, you know, in those cases, just because the wife will not cooperate doesn't mean you you can't charge the guy with domestic violence or whatever. But it makes it more difficult. It would be a lot easier if she cooperated. And so a lot of times what they do is they do a plea bargain and, you know, states will have like these crazy, I mean, it's whatever, it's a schedule one drug. Marijuana is right there alongside heroin. And so the penalties, you know, will be years and, you know, a year in jail or, you know, years in prison, depending on where you're at. And so the prosecutor, you know, prosecutors never want to take it to court because that's a hassle. And so they just want to get a plea deal and they're like, okay, look, we're going to, we're either going to. You know, we can go to court and we're going to get you on domestic violence and marijuana and we're going to send you there for, you know, 20, 30 years. Or you can just plead guilty to the marijuana possession thing, you know, and go to jail for a year. You know, you'll be out in six months, you'll be out in a year, whatever. And so a lot of seemingly, you know, like, why the hell are you throwing someone in prison for a year, you know, over a little bit of marijuana? It's because there's a violent crime but the the plea deal took it down to just marijuana. And I got no proof, but I bet that is part of the reason why black people get convicted of marijuana stuff more when they smoke the same amount. I mean, there's other reasons, but, you know, are you smoking it on the street or smoking it in your house? Or, you know, are you in a neighborhood where there's a bunch of crimes, there's a bunch of cops, and smoking it on the street? Or, are you in a neighborhood where there's no crime at all, and there's no cops, and you're smoking it on the street? But anyways, it's a little bit of a stickier wicket than people think, because a lot of times there is some sort of violent crime connected to it. And I think a lot of times it's actually a violence against women type of violent crime connected to it. So we'll see if the governors start doing blanket pardons. Um, you probably have to like look through the cases and go... you probably find that 9 out of 10 supposedly simple marijuana cases actually have a violent crime element i mean that, that's just my made-up guesstimate and i'll say you know that if it's one out of ten or however much it is you know you, sh- you should let them out if if if, you, if all it was you, you were found with a joint and you were thrown in prison then you should be let out and you know if it's on your record and you can't get a job or something because you're not smart enough to lie about having a record then you should have your record cleared with a pardon the Glenn Lowry podcast was talking about diversity equity, and inclusion in the classical music symphony scene, and it sounds like I don't know they had they had a they had an expert on there, and he's saying it's been the last five years, so once again, you know Trump got elected, and then everyone was like, there's not enough black people in the symphony and it's interesting because in the seventies. They said there's not enough women in the symphony, and so symphonies. I guess they were kind of woke. I don't know, back in the day, even. And so they created these blind auditions, where you you play behind a curtain, like you don't speak, you just play your instrument, and you're on one side of a curtain. And on the other side of the curtain is the people who hire you. And I, uh, you know, like I, you know, I'll admit America's racist in the 70s. But but in this case, apparently, America was sexist in the '70s, and they just wanted to hire men. And then when you just went by pure talent, it turns out there was women that were not getting hired, but should be hired. And so, I guess it took thirty years. It took thirty years, but thirty years after they started doing that stuff, um, women became—I don't know what—fifty percent. I imagine there's probably more than fifty percent, but anyways, fifty percent of the people who play an instrument in a famous symphony. And really, that makes me wonder, was it because they were just choosing men, or is it just over that 30-year period, more and more women got really good at playing instruments? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that's most of it. Most of it is just that women got better. But anyways, if if you have someone not speaking and playing behind a curtain, then you can't tell if they're black, basically. And so, not enough black people have been chosen. Like it's an absolutely pure meritocracy, or I guess you know one of the closest things to it, and it's not working out. So there's a movement to get rid of get rid of the blind auditions. I think for like the conductor, you know, the guy who waves his arms in front of it, uh, in front of the symphony. It sounds like when you hire one of those guys, whatever they they don't do it behind a curtain. <laughs> so, anyways, those guys. Uh, whatever, they're like, I don't know, they, they mentioned a guy for, I think, the Philadelphia Harmonic or something, and they hired, like, a 29-year-old black guy, which, like, whatever, just a few years ago, you would never hire someone that young, you'd need someone who's much more, much more prominent, but anyways, this guy was black, and he could wave his arms, apparently, I don't know. that was just an example they gave of someone getting hired because they're black, they never said if any of the I think I, th- I think they have not gotten rid of the blind audition thing yet. They just they want to. They are desperate to get rid of it, but they haven't done it yet. And then they didn't give the racial breakdown of the symphonies. I wish they had. But the guy mentions that apparently in the '60s, China, Japan, and South Korea all got super into classical music, and I guess it was kind of a fad. And uh, I guess it went from like the '60s through the nineties. And so, I mean, you know, what that says to me is that Asian parents, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're from the, if you're, if you're from those China, those um, Asian countries, uh, from that era, then, you know, you'd be a parent about now and, or sorry, you know, you'd be the parent of someone who's just trying to get a job at a symphony about now. And so I think, I think Asians are crushing it. It's probably the same thing as universities, right? It's like, if Harvard just went by pure meritocracy, then it would be, I mean, close to like 50% Asian. And I guess the symphony, I mean, they have they have um, tenure, not tenure, uh, seniority rules. I don't know if they're in a union or not. So I think a lot of the people that play in a symphony are old white people who have the seniority. And then I imagine the young ones are just Asians coming in and crushing everything with this <laughs> thing where you can't discriminate against Asians like Harvard does. And another thing where you're allowed to see the race of someone is uh, if you write a symphony. And so they they go go into great detail about, her last name was Price. Uh, There's some black woman who wrote some symphonies back in the 1930s. And right now she is hot. Like all the symphony orchestra places are falling over themselves to play her symphonies, and apparently, you know, she's not bad, but she's not good. She's, whatever. You know, normally, they used to play only the absolute top composers, but they have decided you don't have to be that good as long as you're a black woman. I mean, it's nothing crazy. This is just the symphony version of what's going on all across corporate America and all across academia, etc. You know, the frickin' Marines, whatever. And NPR this morning was talking about the cases that are coming up before the Supreme Court. And one of those is that the Supreme Court is about to uh, call affirmative action unconstitutional. I mean, uh, the other word for affirmative action is discrimination on the basis of race. It was kind of a roundtable discussion. And one of the guys is like, yeah, I wonder how that case is going to affect companies, you know, because companies are trying to diversify, you know, get more diversity going on right now. And I was like, yes, please explain how this case affects companies. I mean, we know that universities are going to about to get a big boot up their ass. But what about companies? You know, what about the entire America? And anyways, he just he said that out loud. And then I was like, come on, talk about it. And then they didn't they didn't talk about it. And so I thought about it for a second. And I think I think that means there's a good chance that when you get affirmative action, when you get rid of, you know, discrimination on the basis of race in universities, whatever the Supreme Court does, it may get rid of discrimination on the basis of race uh, in hiring, in corporations. I mean, it's already illegal. We got a frickin' law about it. But anyways, it doesn't... No one no one enforces the law and whatever. You know, it's coming this month. Hell, it's coming in, like, a few weeks, but... um. We will just have to wait and see on that, I guess. But what it could mean is that these symphonies, they should have gotten rid of their, you know, blind testing and hired a bunch of black people real quick so that they could have some sort of seniority and you don't have to fire them after it becomes illegal to hire people based on their skin color. But so I don't think they've done it quickly enough. We'll see. Twitter handle at Anti-Woke Podcast and thanks for listening.